Amen. Well, so here it is, Acts 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit was giving them utterance. I don't know if there is a significant element in the redemptive plan that has caused more controversy, has caused more emotional thrill, has caused more anxiety than this. Uh, this aspect of redemption is one of the things that proves to me that it's real and that somebody didn't sit around a table and make it up because you probably wouldn't have made up something like this. So we're going to look tonight at the uh, amazing role that the Holy Spirit played in the creation of the church. Yes, Richard. I love the, um, I love this, just this, and suddenly. And suddenly. Because every time I read it, it reminds me of all the suddenlies God has done in my life. Yeah. It's just amazing. Doesn't it breathe hope into all the suddenlies you need? And and it's you. You're reminded of God's faithfulness, his his, uh, um, his his faithfulness in carrying you through whatever time it is. Absolutely. And so I'm glad you brought that up because there's a little thing I've added there. It'll show that great minds think alike if we have great minds, which I think we do. All right. So a little bit of review. I, and this time I'm not reviewing because I don't think you re- remember or I think you don't remember. Um, I'm reviewing because I want to keep this context alive as we anticipate a very familiar story that all of us have spent time with uh, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and all that. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And the result of that was that the cosmos, the world, was built specifically to fit you and I and to fit us fellowshipping with God. It's not just by chance. I don't really have a lot of issues with people that want to talk about scientific stuff uh, relative to the evolution and things like that. I obviously have limits on what I believe there, but I do think that it's possible for adaptations to occur and extinctions to occur and things to come and go. I get all that. But it's such a different picture that that, naturalistic science paints of why the world is the way it is and why people are where they are. They try to make people the sort of indifferent outcome of, of the way the world is. But it's exactly the opposite. And that's why I believe that it's a, a tool that the enemy uses pretty regularly. The exact opposite of the, the truth. The truth is that from the heart of the Father, through the working of the Spirit, By the creative agency of the Son, the world was made for you and me. That's really cool. It's a big deal. And the Holy Spirit's right in the middle of that one. Um, Now, the other thing that the church has overlooked is we've kept the significance of the cosmos, the significance of the earth, we've kept it at bay a little bit because... And I think we didn't want to be too arrogant. We didn't want to be too proud. We didn't want to seem too important in our own eyes. But it caused for a pretty terrible mistranslation of this beautiful passage in Isaiah 6.3. Young's literal gets it the way it is in the language. Most all your translations, most all of mine, will say, 
Uh, and one called out uh, to the other and, and said, holy, holy, talking about those angels and seraphim. Uh, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts or Jehovah of hosts. Uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's usually how modern translations, how the Hebrew is laid out is this, the fullness of the earth is his glory. And that makes sense when it is the very thing that displays his heart after men and women. So it's important to remember that. And the Holy Spirit was right there governing that, right there manip- uh, uh, managing that, energizing that, fertilizing that, and all the things we talked about. Then in the, the same kind of creative way, creating God's place among his people, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, let them construct a sanctuary, not just so that Israel could be a holy nation that had a sanctuary, but so that God could be with them. The driving force of the work of the Holy Spirit is to make a place for God to be with us. And the way he did it was from the inside of people. That's an important context. He didn't have that privilege in creation, but here he did. And he was able to see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son of of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. He made the mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. You know the story there, and you know that in my heart, for sure, it is linked to the propitiation word we read in the New Testament, because that hilasmos and hilasterion word is the same word used in the Septuagint to speak of the mercy seat. And what was the mercy seat? But the physical place inspired by the inspired one inspired by the craftsmanship that the Holy Spirit put in Bezalel to carve, to create, and to make a place that was suitable for the Shekinah presence of God to come and hover in the midst and be with his people. It's incredible. Incredible. The result of this was there was a nation built specifically in which man and God dwelt together. Whatever else Israel was, I want to be their people. This was put on display in the earth by virtue of the inspiration and the work of the Holy Spirit. It became a place and a people to display the glory of God. Then the Holy Spirit was at work creating the union of God and man. And we looked at the incarnation of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you, Richard, that revelation to Joseph probably came as a suddenly. (laughs) And you know the visit came as a suddenly to Mary, right? She goes, how can this be? How can this be since I've not had a man? So that was a suddenly. Not all suddenlies uh, probably uh, are received the way that they're intended. Although Joseph did a pretty good job. responding to that angel in the dream. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the Lord, or through the prophet, by the Lord, through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is one of the very few places in Scripture where the Scripture actually makes sure you understand the translation of the word. Which translated means God with us. There's an emphasis point here. The Holy Spirit worked in creation to make a world where God could be with men. He worked in Israel to make a nation where God could be with men. And he worked in Jesus so that God could be with us. That's 
That's a theme running through what we've looked at. The result is the eternal union and oneness between God and humanity. I don't... (laughs) When I typed that line in, I thought, how inadequate can a series of words be to try to convey something? The eternal union or reunion, depending on how you think about it, and the oneness between God and humanity. And Jesus summed it up this way. He who has seen me has seen the Father, and I and the Father are one. And the whole centerpiece of our redemption, as the gospel began to be talked about in detail, is described by the little phrase, in Christ. In Christ. You are in Christ. Being in Christ is being a material, organic, living, emotional, spiritual participant in the eternal union between God and humanity. That has implications we don't often think about as we thumb through our sort of stock-accumulated doctrines. You and I, by virtue of the work of Jesus, by virtue of the incarnation brought to Him, brought through Him by the Holy Spirit, has created an absolute, real, living union between you and Jesus. You and the Father. You and the Spirit. We underestimate that. I know we do. I know we do. Then the Holy Spirit began, when this union was established, immediately proclaiming the kingdom of God. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit engineered a confrontation that took humanity all the way back to the garden in that moment when they believed the lie and took upon themselves a knowledge that they were unprepared to deal with. The very first thing the Holy Spirit did. Yes, Dan. I, I'm kind of got to go back on that thing about in Christ. I, I think, you know, my growing up, probably one of the biggest weaknesses, that word in Christ we used all the time. And we had a whole list of all the things that we had in Christ. But I realize how much of that is a positional, mm-hmm. transactional emphasis. Not a living or Not a living yes. in yeah. Christ. Absolutely. Something in the presence, in the person, in the relationship. And there's a huge danger always to reduce right. it to As a, a, a positional yeah, thing. Yeah, and that's what I think, that's probably a big weakness of my earlier years is that viewing it as a transactional positional state or something mm-hmm. that I'm in Christ because he died on the cross. Therefore I'm, I get all this stuff. How many, how many have had that as an issue that you had to overcome in Christianity? I think it's super common. I think it's super duper common again, because it's almost astounding to try to believe otherwise Right. that there is a real union. And that's why it takes someone of the magnitude of the Holy spirit to make that happen. Because it's not a religion. It's really a rebirthing, a remaking, right? It's awesome. It's very good. Very good. So not only did, did that initial, the very initial work of the Holy Spirit on Jesus and through Jesus was to get him into the wilderness to confront the fall. And there's a million messages that could be taught about that. And it'd be fun to try sometime. But uh, when he came out of there, you could tell that he came out in what we would call an overcomer, what we would call a victor, because Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding districts. 
And here's what he said when he went in. The first, I think, if I remember correctly, the first record of Jesus declaring the Scripture and applying it to himself. I'm pretty sure that's true. I might not be right. But it's a significant one anyway. He takes this scroll in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Wow. Wow. Now, Jesus went on to say that he cast out demons by the finger of God. He went on to talk about the Spirit in lots of different ways. But there is a significance here. The announcement of the ministry, the announcement of that victory that was won, overcoming the temptation, overcoming the temptation to take matters into his own hand. Yes, Ronnie? I hope this is true. If it's not, it's just a neat story. Okay. Um, I had heard that in the synagogue that the scroll was open to a certain part, and that was the reading for that day. Yeah, I've heard that too. Right. So I believe that it was all, in essence, orchestrated that as he that was the reading, and Jesus was there at that time when the reading just happened to be, coincidentally, that right there. Yeah, I, pretty cool. I, coincidentally, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a great point. It's a great point. All right, so tonight we're going to take the next step, but let me back up just to the reviews a little bit. The idea of the Holy Spirit's primary function is to create relationship between God and humanity, the Father and His kids, between us and God. I want you to to be free to believe that. I want you to be... The primary work of the Holy Spirit is not to enable you to obey God by doing certain things that are required of you better. That might all be a good thing, and it happens. But the heart of God is revealed in God, the Holy Spirit, creating union, creating relationships. And if we sell that short, we'll end up sort of either becoming mercenaries or prostitutes. And neither are fit for children of the Father. So tonight, we're going to work through Jesus to, uh, we're going to watch the Holy Spirit work through Jesus to establish the kingdom in and through man. Now, the, the reason that this transition is important to me also, and in this context of the Holy Spirit doing work at creation, the tabernacle, and so on, is I don't want us to separate out. Pentecost, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from the rest of the redemptive plan or the rest of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because then it becomes a little thing itself that we doctrinize and we turn into something. And I I know what that's like. And I'm grateful for the emphasis in my life in training. But I I think I might have missed that point a little bit about them all being integrated. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Now I want you to listen to this. When you listen to the importance, how much importance should we give to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? This is a verse that can help us answer that question. Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. No, I tried to do like Princess Bride. I don't know how it came out at all. <laughs> Did that startle anyone? Okay, good. 
This, you, you know, you guys have heard stories about Jesus that he was either who he said he was or he was a lunatic. Okay, that's a mild comparison. Either this is the most fraudulent statement ever made, or it's true. I want you to think about that. Jesus, raising Lazarus from the dead, raising the widow's son, healing Bartimaeus, redeeming, doing all the things that Jesus seemingly alone could do at the time in these men's lives and in that culture. It's good for you that I go away, one translation puts it. It's to your advantage that I go away. Who here could envision being there and agreeing with that at the time Jesus said it to his disciples? There's no possible way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get out of here, Jesus. We're, we're done with you. It's been a wild ride for three years. No. It is to your advantage till I go away. And here's how he explains why. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, he's already talked about just moments, minutes before in that dialogue in 14, 15, and 16. He said, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Uh, he's going to be in you. He's going to be with you. The world's not going to be able to know, but you're going to know. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and so on. But look at this. It's to your advantage that I go away. So here's something, a question that I never got asked, and it never occurred to me until I was preparing for this. What does that say about the value of the helper? The incarnate Son of God is better off leaving so that the helper can come. Even the word helper, as it's translated there, has a tendency to mitigate down, to mediate against, the amazing significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The King of glory gives way to the helper. All I can, I mean, all I can conclude from thinking about this is that I'm wrong. Is that I'm, I've underestimated that there's something built into the language. There's something built into me. There's something built into my worship that somehow misses the magnificent person and role of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Ronnie. So the words say, if I do not go away. It's interesting how God uses those words. He doesn't say, if I don't go away and get crucified and what I'm, what's about to happen. He just mm-hmm. says, if I don't go away. So right. he's not even bringing up how he's going to go away. It's just... no. So, he talked about that a little earlier, but that's not the point yeah, here, I don't think. Seems like there's a lot. Matter of fact, he emphasizes it because if you go a little bit later, he says, I go to be with the Father. And, uh, and so the, he was, you're right, he was talking about his ascension more than he was talking about his crucifixion, I think. I think it'd be safe to say that. We could probably look into that some. But yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Good point. So I just want to go back and, and look at, at the ministry of Jesus and the role the Holy Spirit played in it. John the Baptist said this, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, of all the things that Jesus did, that's a big one, right? Pretty significant. Pretty significant. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. Now, who sent John to baptize in water? God did. Right? Probably the Holy Spirit, come think of it. But God did. That wasn't something that was reported to him in his priestly schools early on, in his Nazarite vows or anything like that. So the one who 
sent me to baptize with water, said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The same work that the Holy Spirit's doing. Remember the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary? And then the, the, what was the result of that is this, this one that is born of you is going to be called the Holy God, the Son of God. This Holy One born of you is going to be called the Son of God. Same here. The one who baptized in the Holy Spirit. So this also gave me an insight. Personally, I need to elevate this baptizing, baptizing with the Holy Spirit so that it stands properly alongside the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. And I'm not trying to plug that into a, to a sinner's prayer form or anything like that, or go back and say, oh, you know, you can't be saved. You know, that's not the point at all. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying that what we consider perhaps something that's nice or important or would be good, but maybe, maybe not, is equated with the declaration here in the passage as the prophet saw him and received him, is equated with Jesus being the one who takes away the sin of the world. All I'm saying is that let's go ahead and let the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit be as big a deal as it probably is in the redemptive plan and as it probably is to God. Did I make that clear or did I confuse you by thinking that that's a salvation equivalent? That's not what I'm saying. Yes, Jesus' role as the baptizer of the Holy Spirit is declared at his baptism in the same way with the same heavenly force. The one who sent me to baptize said in the same heavenly force that the declaration, behold the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the, or takes away the sins of the world. So I'm not trying to make a salvation formula out of it that's confusing or that says you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this thing isn't just an aftermath to the, to the finished work of Jesus. It's a part of the finished work of Jesus. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us to form the church, to craft the body of Christ, is a significant reality standing alongside the very redemptive work of taking on the sin of the world. Now, I don't have better words to say that right now, so I just ask you to let that kind of percolate. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Let the Father show you. Let something emerge out of Scripture to reveal it to you. But, And I'm talking to people that I know are very, very open and have had experience with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to people, the majority I'm sure, who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But uh, I'm also talking as a person who has allowed the awesome wonder of that in my own life to slip into the background. And I don't want it to stay that way. And I can tell you that never once in my ignorance, best as I can recall, never once did I ever let the thought run through my mind unchecked Oh yeah, it's it's okay that Jesus took away the sin of the world, but no, not really, not really essential, not really the big deal. <laughs> but I am ashamed to say I have had thoughts similar to that pass through without being whacked down about the Holy Spirit's outpouring and presence in my life. And forgive me for that, Lord.
That could lead to a good sermon on the unpardonable sin, huh? Bless me. We'll talk about that later. All right. So anyway, as in creation, as in the tabernacle and worship of Israel, and as in the incarnation of Christ, humanity encounters and experiences God as the Holy Spirit baptizes and engages us in the reality of God's presence and his kingdom. Not just positional, like the in Christ thing, Dan. You have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. And I, there, there, I've been in on those debates too, internally and with others, you know. Yes, but the point is this. It's no small thing to engage with the living God. And the mechanism of that engagement is the outpouring and presence of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. I, and I love the Holy Spirit, and, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll tell you a story. This was funny. This illustrates it a little bit. I'm trying to be transparent. So I was struggling with this particular, the prep for this message. I, the, the, the struggle was, Lord, how do I, this is a big thing. I'm talking way out of my pay grade. I'm talking way beyond my level of revelation. I know that. I mean, I, I do know it too. And so I can say it and know it's true, but not understand what the heck is I'm trying to say, you know? And so um, I got my notes done, got the PowerPoint done. And then I, I was relaxed and I go, you know, I don't really, nothing really I can do. Like what I said at the beginning, this isn't a message that I can craft an end to. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And you're going to do what you're going to do. So I, I didn't even know how to fill the time to finish my preparation. And I, I uh, was kind of trying to get quiet. I went out in the motorhome. It's parked behind my house. It wasn't really quiet. The wind was blowing 40 miles an hour, rattling around. But I was isolated anyway. And the thought came to my mind, huh, you don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. Yeah, exactly. So I started praying in tongues. And I prayed in tongues for a while. I don't know how long it was. I didn't watch the clock as a while. <laughs> and I felt like a kid. I felt, and it, that was a good feeling. That wasn't like a bad feeling. I didn't feel like a failure, and therefore I felt immature. I felt like a child of the Father being loved by the triune God in the midst of the perichoretic re reality because I was doing something that I had ostensibly in the moment forgotten. And it just perfectly illustrated it. And when I got, when I got done with that time with the Lord, I... I just go, oh, okay. You know, I mean, it was just wonderful. Uh, so we're talking real presence here. I, I loved your, your comment, Dan, about the positional in Christ. No, it's really in Christ. It really means that the things that come at you have to come through him to get to you. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it makes a difference. It means that the God of creation who hovered over the face of the waters, who inspired the worship of Israel, who overshadowed Mary and birthed the living Son of God of whom we can be in is the Spirit in us who Jesus described in relationship to us as He will be with you and in you 
forever. And if you don't believe it, read the book of Revelation, particularly about the marriage feast of the Lamb, and you'll be scratching your head if you're observant going, where's the Holy Spirit in here? I actually asked the Lord that question one time after an extended period of questioning. And, of course, the answer was, well, he's with you, teaching you how to be the bride. <laughs> Forever, right? Ronnie? I'm sorry, but I'm a little confused by okay. some of this. Um, your title seems to say, Holy Spirit, part of the job of the Holy Spirit is confirming Jesus. Yes. Which, which I got that. Yeah. Then I think it means the Holy Spirit also is also God's baptizer. Jesus is God's baptizer. Jesus is the way I wrote the title. Is God's baptizer. Yeah, he will baptize you. See there? Behold the Lamb. The one who baptizes is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to describe that relationship. It seems to me that as the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father, and as the Holy Spirit was sent by the Son, Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Okay. Or with. Does that clarify it at all? At least what my thoughts are. I don't know if it clarifies the truth. Anyway, real presence is what we're talking about. Yeah, go ahead. It's just so they can hear you on Zoom. So this may sound really naive. How does the Holy Ghost make himself manifest? I um, experienced a miracle. My daughter drank terribly and never talked to anybody about it. Uh And then one night, several uh, people who worked around the world, and somehow I asked these people to pray for my daughter, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just entering an understanding of Christianity or an interest in it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, how can I cogently express this? So that right after I asked for that prayer, it was late at night, I received a phone call from my daughter for the first time in 10 years of drinking, said, Dad, I've decided to stop drinking. Praise God. It was... Amazing. Uh-huh. I got in the car and I drove, and I don't remember exactly, but the doors were rattling, the windows were shaking. It was unbelievable. Uh-huh. It was like a film. This is kind of. You mean in your car? Yeah. The presence yeah, of God with at, you? I stopped at Come and Go or something, and I'm there, and all of this was happening in the car. It was this crazy energy. I rolled the windows down, and the, it was. So I assume that this is something like like the Holy Spirit, that this may be the way that he makes, the I th- Holy I think he makes itself manifest yeah, as yeah. opposed to Jesus. I mean, I know this is kind of foolish, but... I don't think it's foolish at all. Uh-huh. No, I don't at all. As a matter of fact, I've got a verse coming up here that will confirm that the Holy Spirit, in fact, does act like that and does show up like that. And to think that... that see, again... We try to sanitize all these religious concepts. We try to sanitize in Christ and make it intellectually apprehendable. We try to sanitize the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, one, one sort of, of colloquial illustration is uh, that, that I do still like is that if you're wired for 110 and somebody plugs you into a 440, there'll be some sparks. (laughs) So I think there's partly it's like that. When, when, if we just, if we just assume that it's okay to talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of being God, 
then we say, if God comes into the room, a variety of reactions could occur. <laughs> right? And I think we have physical examples and, and literary examples, scriptural examples, and so on, of that exact same thing. I don't know where it is coming up. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here, here was this one. Suddenly. Right, Richard? Suddenly. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. So it had a sound to it. And if we go on in a little bit, you'll see that it's not only just a sound that affected the people upon whom the Holy Spirit came, but it's a sound that was heard and caused speculation and mockery even out in among the people outside the building that they were in. Yeah, it sure did. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's absolutely right. So it filled the whole house, the whole car, and the windows were rattling, and, and they appeared to them as tongues of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And I've heard stories. I've heard stories told by missionaries, and I've heard stories in the old revival writers where fire showed up. As a matter of fact, I don't know how many times it was in Azusa Street that the fire department showed up at a meeting because there were calls that the chapel was on fire. I mean, this are, these are recorded in the, in the fire department's history. And there was, there was that fire. There wasn't a real, you know, the, the, the normal kind of fire. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. So it's not just the reaction of God's presence in the, in the house or in the car. It's also the reaction through and on the people. And that's the other part. The, the idea of the Holy Spirit coming on and overshadowing Mary and all of a sudden it producing the capacity to birth the Son of God. The, the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and being able to produce life, all that kind of stuff. That same reality is a part of the Holy Spirit now. Yeah, Vic. So in John 20, it says, uh, starting at 19, um, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So he actually there, he's actually like breathing the spirit on them. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's baptizing them per se, but. Well, we'll, I'm hoping I can look into that. We can look into that a little bit more uh, because there was definitely a transfer of at least two things there. There was a transfer of the ministry as the father has sent Mm -hmm. me, so send I you. Right. Again. Do we that's underestimate huge. that? Yeah, that's huge. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then there was the breathing and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, which didn't preclude well, them also And there receiving. was the forgiveness of sins. And there was the, yeah. So we don't like to think about that. But <laughs> uh, do we, because of who we are in Christ, yeah. do we have the ability to forgive sin in the same way that Jesus' redemption forgives sin? And I know I'm taking no, that's down a fine. rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, Jesus encountered that same question when he said, your sins are forgiven to the guy with the, uh, in the mat, I think, or whatever. And they go, who, who, no, only God can forgive sins. Yeah. Yeah. Only God can. And just a quick reminder, back in the day, 
the Lord breathed into Adam and gave him life. Yeah, okay, had that, that's a good point, Ronnie. Is, is it really us being too outlandish in our expectations that the outpouring of Ruach, the breath of God, could turn us from one thing into another, give us a power to, to be somebody or forgive sin, when in fact he did that in a formed piece of dirt and brought it to life? I, again, we've underestimated. We live in an underestimation of the presence of God in our midst. Richard? This scripture, when it talks about the, the violent rushing wind and the house was filled and all this activity going on in a heavenly type situation, and you read, not only you read this here, but you see that in the Old Testament sometimes, mm-hmm. you read it in other places in, in the New, New Testament. And, and then you car. hear, and then you hear it through, um, instances, uh, the different revivals, things happening. Is this something that, obviously, it's nothing we can cre- create ourselves. It's it's all God doing it. But is there a, is there a way of uh, creating an atmosphere for it? Or, Participating, or, uh, yeah, preparing, or, or is it just? The God says, "I'm going to do this at this time with this these individuals and and um, I don't know. I I don't have a good answer for that, especially off the cuff on the night. But the next, the last thing that we're scheduled to study in this, you know, remember I did that long introduction the first time of those five things. The last one is the specifics of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and I I if if He'll permit, we'll get into it there. Well, absolutely. So, yeah, I believe that was the Holy Spirit manifesting, and I don't think that you believing it takes anything away from the significance of Him or the holiness of Him or the godness of Him, uh, because a situation like that, where the very life of your daughter is being rescued from a bondage, if that's not the Holy if that's not where God came to work, then where is it? You know, where is it? Certainly not behind a pulpit in church. It's there. It's there. Okay, now here's the interesting elements to this. And, and again, I, I, I included this because I don't want us to over-spiritualize this and turn it into something like retroactively fit it back into a Pentecostal doctrine or, or charismatic doctrine. Now, there were Jews, and I believe they spoke in tongues. Don't get me wrong on that. That's not what I'm saying. But there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came, the sound of the mighty rushing wind and so on, and the praying in tongues. The crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So this went beyond the faithful. It went beyond the upper room gathering. So maybe when you pulled into the come and go station, the person who pulled in after you when you went in to go to the restroom or whatever you did, maybe your car was still shaking and maybe they heard it. Maybe they saw it and they go, man, that guy needs some repair work or something. Why? You know, I mean, who knows? Let God be God. Let God struggle to fit in the narrowness of our lives. He, he's up to that. He's up to that. Anyway, the folks heard him in their own language and they all continued in amazement with great perplexity. And they were saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking. They're full of sweet wine. I thought that was interesting because he comes and then we decide how to receive it. So I would rather go, I'm amazed. What does this mean? (laughs) 
than be the one that had to try to shoehorn a solution. So I'm, I'm all in favor of believing that the Holy Spirit was rocking and rolling with you as you were getting to your daughters. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah, now this is, this is uh, the little notation I put there. It's an explanation and then a confirmation of Jesus. And this is something else I think is important. I believe that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of exalting Jesus, still in the business of, of confirming Jesus, still in the business. Why? Because he's making a place for us to be in Christ, to be one with Christ, to engage with Christ, to understand and to know all of this. Men of Judea, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. It's interesting that he took the mockery seriously and answered it. You know, But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And Joel talked about in the last days that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your handmaidens, and your, your prophesy and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't really have time to read it. We'll get into it next time when we go into the specifics. And then a little bit further on, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so I would ask you, are we still living in a world where the signs that point to God are cause some people perplexity and cause other people to mock? The answer is yes. So do we still need the Holy Spirit? The answer is absolutely yes. Do we still... Does the Holy Spirit still desire to come and clarify who Jesus is in a culture that's got him all screwed up? Absolutely. I think, again, I want our expectations to be beyond natural reasoning. All righty. Ah, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still God's gift. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. Um, when they had been released, okay, so what, here's what I wanted to do here. I don't want to go through the whole time. but So this is, jumps up to Acts chapter 4. They healed the guy. Then they were arrested. Then they were threatened and released. And they went back and they started praying. So they lifted their gods and they said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all therein, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of their father David, your servant, said, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, these are the same ones, many of the same ones, not all the same ones, but many of the same ones who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together, here it is, just like you experienced. The place was shaken. Not just you, the car. The place was shaken. Yes, that is one way the Holy Spirit manifests. And God, grant us that. We'll fix the cracks in the wall if that happens. The place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this shows me that that filling that is so central to Pentecost wasn't the last time the Holy Spirit came. wasn't the only time. And that, doesn't, and, and, and that means that my historic 
baptism in the Holy Spirit as a young Assemblies of God guy, that's not the only time that I can expect to be filled. Okay? And then, here they didn't just speak in tongues. They may have spoken in tongues. You don't know. But they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. So the result of this was more than just particular gifts. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that to denigrate the gifts. We're going to concentrate a lot on the gifts next week. It was rather the power of boldness. And I think that what the church is missing a lot is a, is a humble, powerful boldness. I think I'm missing it. And I think the Holy Spirit can give it. Wasn't the last time the Holy Spirit also didn't just confirm the disciples. He extended the church. Peter was preaching these words. This is in Acts 10. Uh, and, and so this is why I liked your comment. I put in there, dare we say suddenly. I mean, in the midst of his preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and all those of his household. Suddenly. Suddenly. And you talk about upending the theological world of the, of the Jewish believers. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. It was their turn to be amazed. They're taking the role of the ones outside the upper room because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. He upon whom you see the Spirit descending, this Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said this, and I, I brought it up last week, but standing outside the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And if you have a narrow view, or if you're tempted to have a narrow view, or I'm tempted to have a narrow view of what the benefit, the outcome of the Holy Spirit being poured out in us even today, even tonight. Keep in mind that it's measured only by the capacity of living water. The flow of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Holy Spirit is still Father's gift to his children today. He is. It's not a right of entry into Pentecostal Christianity. It's not an affirmation one time done. It is an engagement with the living God. So let's be open. Let's receive. So the mic is going to be open for prayer. Not then, but even during worship if we can. And then we'll see what God does. So here's what I want us to do. And I appreciate you guys coming up and engaging and asking the questions during it so we, we can focus on this. Uh, the worship team, you guys can go ahead and get up there and get ready to lead us. I heard the songs that you picked are magnificent. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, keep your eyes open if you can for people to come up to the mic and also on Zoom. Jeremy, you got something? Yeah, I know this is this is commonplace for us, but watching it you know, from a distance... It really is a beautiful sight just to see the dialogue uh, on a Friday night and see people wrestling with concepts, uh, see something that's challenging to us. You know, do we have the freedom to forgive sin? You know, just exploring those things without being offended and 
and knowing that the answer may not happen on Sunday night, it might be when each of us goes our own separate ways and the father speaks to us and we come back the next week. So it just, just wanted to, uh, I guess, highlight just, uh, just how special what we do and what we have is. So keep up the, the good, good journey, everyone. I'll say the same to you. You're part of it. Thank you. Thank you. So what I, what I want you guys to do is, is if you feel like the Holy Spirit, if, if you have, first of all, if you have a prayer, I mean, that one shaking came as a result of them saying, give us, Lord, the power to speak boldly. Another came as they were just waiting, not knowing what was coming. So if you, have, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is stirring in you a prayer or a prophetic word, just come up to the mic, be patient, they'll catch your eye, uh, and then work it out. So, Laurel, if you could just be sensitive to that a little bit, that'd be awesome.